The Museum of Teaching and Learning welcomes you to another episode of our series, Teaching in Times of COVID, stories dedicated to the experience of educators in public, private, and home teaching settings. I'm Denise Steedman, your host. Today, we're joined by Kevin, who is an instructor of painting arts at a community college in Fresno County. Kevin, welcome. Hi, good to be here. Kevin, you had a career before you became a teacher. Would you tell us what you did? <clears throat> sure. Um, I got my BFA from Ohio State University, uh, and I, I won't say when because, you know, relationships have a little mystery, right? So, um, but, uh, but then I came to California to be in a wedding and immediately found it to be uh, just a really kind of fertile, creative place. The art shows were going uh, great guns. The economy in Ohio for the arts was a little tense. California was a lot of creativity and in particular um, I got very engaged by the mural scene in Southern California. Um, I found work as an illustrator uh, on my first weekend visit um, and did some projects for the Olympics which I was very excited to do and very grateful to my previous drawing instructors for preparing me. And, um, and then um, I became an art director and uh, then a creative director in Hollywood. And then eventually I started my own mural team and did murals for quite a while. Uh, and then went back to grad school to learn how to paint. Um, after painting for all those years, uh, I thought it was very important to learn more about the conversation, the contemporary conversation, um, the larger art world. Uh, I think anytime that you learn by doing, it's, it's possible to, to get kind of these islands of knowledge and I wanted to connect those islands um, and see how I worked in a bigger world. And, uh, and it, was a, it was a fantastic place to learn. So can you explain to us what an art director does. What, what is that position? It can mean many things. Sure, yes. sure. An art director in, in this case is uh, an artist who's also able to do time management, So, uh, which is really an important part of learning to be an artist, is understanding deadlines, uh, being able to look something over and have a wild idea of how long it will take to do very well, um, and then what the value of that time might be. So you're interfacing with business people and clients um, you're kind of the technical expert, and, um, and in the case of a creative team, most advertising creative teams have a writer and an art director. So there's an artist and a word person. And then um, you move from being an art director. If, you know, if, if that appeals to you and, uh, and the arc works for you, then you become a creative director, which I had the good fortune of doing. And uh, I thought the creative director position was about the most fun outside of an art studio you could have because you get to be very creative. Um, you're working with clients, you get to work with all of the different levels of the company, you're working with writers, and one week you're doing photography, and one week you're writing, you're doing drawings and storyboards, you're doing designs, working with the computer team, um, and you're planning to keep your creative team fresh. So you get to meet lots of young artists, um, you get to talk to people about their ideas, and it's, it's very exciting to find common ground between the arc of what you're trying to create. You know, we all want to make art. Uh, we want it to be brilliant and award-winning and, and fun to work on, but the client wants it to be uh, functional. It wants it to do something. And the idea that art does something, that art has a voice out in the world, um, it, stepping away from the fine art world really helped me to understand that and uh, to get a, a, a look at the fine art world, at painting, at visual language through other people's eyes. And it was, it was wonderful for my own art. Um, you mentioned Hollywood. Mm -hmm. Our listeners would be interested if you can uh, pull back that curtain a little bit and tell us what you did. Um, I worked, uh, I had a lot of little interesting jobs. Everyone in, well, not everyone, but most people in Hollywood are on contract. They're freelancers. Um, and so the competition is incredible. You have to be really good at what you do. So people who make sandwiches make extraordinary sandwiches. And the people who take care of the gardens make extraordinary gardens. And, um, and they do it 21 hours a day for six weeks, and then they have to find a new job. Um, and people go on hiatus, and then they fly off to work in 
El Salvador on a volunteer mission. I mean, it's it's just incredible how diverse and rich the art community is. And so actors do voice work and lighting technicians then work with clubs or with grocery stores doing the lighting in the produce area. They just, they understand light. They understand how to make things look great, how to make people look great. So LA has this uh, amazing pool of exciting talent. And uh, in Hollywood, I worked on prop teams doing scenic work uh, because paint and, um, and I worked with marketing teams selling movies, you know, uh, which was very exciting. Uh, getting to meet directors and actors and go on sets and uh, look at production photography and occasionally take some. Um, it was really fun working with some of the best talent out there who are interested in marketing their vision. Millions of dollars go into making a movie, and then you have to find a distribution deal, and then you have to get the theaters to buy it. And, you know, I mean, it's for every job that rolls by on the screen, I, I show my students the last few minutes of whatever's the most recent Marvel film at the beginning of the class, and I show them that there were maybe 50 speaking parts diminishing in size as it goes through the screen. So all of those people. And then there are about nine minutes, and behind every one of those, categories, you could add the word artist. There are food artists and stunt artists and movement artists and consultants in every imaginable visual area and computer artists and animators and specialists in landing right because if Scarlett Johansson twists her ankle, we're going to all stop working for two weeks um, and some of us won't be able to pay our bills, right? So all the way down the line, all of those people are artists. And, uh, and I, I think that that's kind of something that people don't realize when they take an art class is that trying to get one of those 50 speaking parts is a large part luck. But getting one of those 9,000 paying gigs where you understand five or six different things and how they fit together and how to do them really well and you've worked with some really talented and smart people, like that is, uh, those jobs are available in music, they're available in film, they're available in uh, photography, they're available in visual arts. So there are all of those support things where people can have a family and buy a house and have a life. And, and I'm really interested in um, us respecting each other at all of those different levels. There's only one Gerhard Richter but he helps to employ about 3,000 artists around the world who are hanging his shows and promoting his shows, and, and that's great. And I'm thrilled if my friends or my students become the next Gerhard Richter, but I'll be just delighted if they're able to um, be happy and find, uh, and, and find a niche in the art world. They can be part of this really exciting dance. That sounds like a, a great career, really interesting and fun. So why did you decide to teach, and why at the college level? Um, and what do you teach now? I teach painting. <laughs> Three uh, questions. I teach painting at, at uh, all the levels that are available at the community college. Um, so I teach full-time. I teach introductory, uh, intermediate, and advanced painting. I teach introductory and intermediate watercolor. And I teach introductory and advanced uh, murals. We teach the painting class are in oils and acrylics, so it's a lot of media. Um, uh, when they when I responded to the posting, I was really delighted because they had listed all of these broad skills. You should understand how toxicity in the classroom works, and you should understand how murals work, and you should understand a number of media. And I was very excited because all of that generalist information um, and all of those years of painting, you know, in my own studio. Um, they prepared me to do this. But the reason I became a teacher is all along, I think our job is to share what we know, um, is to bring the next group of talented young people into the world in an informed way. Uh, so they have the tools to engage the world and maybe solve some of the problems we created. Um, and, uh, or some of the problems that, we've, that we took on and are not done with. Um, so I, I think that it, it's such an honor and it's so important The people who've changed the trajectory of my life every single time have been educators. Um, my high school trajectory was changed completely by an excellent art teacher. 
Um, I had a fantastic foundation program at the Columbus College of Art and Design. Um, so right through my life to grad school, my MFA at Cal State Fullerton, um, like I just had incredible instructors who, who cared so much about me and about the subject matter that it was, it was infectious. I mean, one of the greatest compliments an artist can have is to have someone look at your work and say, you make me want to go home and paint, which means they have an infectious enthusiasm. They have uh, a skill level that you can actually begin to pick up just by looking, which is great. Um, art students are frequently visual learners, so simply being able to paint in front of and with students and respond to their paintings is such an exciting dialogue. Well, uh, can you tell us what's involved in teaching painting? It's not just throwing up a, a canvas and, and starting to paint. So it, educate us in, in it, how that works. Absolutely. Yeah, there should be no throwing up at all uh, <laughs> in, uh, in, the, uh, in the painting studio. No crying in baseball, no throwing up in painting. So, uh, uh, so uh, part of it is that in a, in a painting studio, we've got all kinds of different students. You know, most of my students are not art students. They're nursing students and accounting students and business students and um, general ed students. And they're there for some combination of curiosity and three credits, right? Um, and, I, and I put out a survey at the beginning and I ask them, you know, which is more important? Rank these things, the three credits, the, you know, it's like, and, you know, and most of the class is there because they're, they're really curious about what they might learn from painting and they want to pass. And so that, that becomes an important part of it. And uh, in teaching painting, you have process, which are how paint is applied, how paint can safely be manipulated uh, on a palette, on a surface, um, what the different kinds of paints are, um, what paints are compatible with what kinds of surfaces and tools and processes. Um, and then there's a, you know, a several thousand year long conversation in painting about ideas. Um, Aristotle's Poetics listed that the most important things in the visual arts were memory and poetry, right? And so it was mimesis. Uh, it, was, it was going to help you to remember the world and to observe the world around you. And that artists were, were here to observe. So whether it was theater or poetry or whatever. And ever since then, we've been adding to the pile. In the class, I introduced kind of an idea I call the Jenga Tower of Painting. But that's that one generation adds a new concept. You know, maybe it's really important that we deconstruct all of our work down to its bare bones and we will be essentialists. And the next one will be a Rococo, you know, over the top, let's add everything in the kitchen sink and then let's bolt on some flowers, right? Um, and then throw glitter at it, right? So uh, every generation builds and removes elements and concepts. And if you understand that flow, it's this beautiful dance. It happens in music, it happens in writing and architecture, that you can see certain elements uh, that do something deeper and more important than fashion, where they, uh, they come into the public consciousness and artists respond as part of the public, but we also respond as trying to figure out what is next. We're looking at that flow of history and kind of extrapolating in the stream and saying, well, I think there's a curve up ahead. I think it's gonna curve this way because chasing history is impossible. History is way too fast. So instead, artists say, you know, this is what I wanna do. And they paint or create or sculpt or create poetry. Um, and they create something so amazing that the world creates a bus stop for them. And the, and the river moves into that community of artists. Um, or they look at the flow of things and they get a, make a lucky guess and they say it's going to hang a left. They, you know, and they should probably buy a lottery ticket because it does. It hangs a left at exactly the right place and the river flows right past their studio door. Um, but that isn't the same as being a great artist. That's really good at guessing and understanding the flow. And careers are not just talent or just luck or just anything. It's everything. You actually have to know everything. So if you don't understand art history, you don't understand the flow. If you don't understand a little bit about philosophy, you may not deal with the flow. Um, if you don't understand the process, you might poison yourself or destroy your own work. So I try to introduce everything. 
the, the idea is that let's let's take a wave at Russian uh, socialist painting and let's take a nod at Fluxus and let's let's take a look at some of these things. Let's look at Yoko Ono's work. Uh, let's have some conversations about how big and interesting painting is as a concept. Let's look at identity politics in California, um, the importance of the addition of feminist voices and, uh, and the, the enormous populations that were never heard from who are now having a voice and how important that is. And those are my students. I want to equip them to use their new voice. So it's a, it's a pretty wonderful time to be teaching painting. Well, I know I want to take your class <laughs> with that. Um, if you don't mind, let's discuss that day, that Friday the 13th, 2020, when your school was notified or you were notified uh, that there was going to be an education lockdown that schools were going to be closed. Um, it's, can you tell us about that, that day, that couple of days, and, and how you uh, processed it and what you thought was going to happen? Sure. Um, uh, I, I teach at Fresno City College, and it's an extraordinary school for um, communication. The, uh, our, our president, uh, Dr. Goldsmith, is incredible, and she communicated very clearly as the week was going by, kind of what our status was, as the district was voting um, on what the what the future would be. Everyone's taking the student interest. It was very student centered and very uh, conservative with regard to staff safety, being very aware of that. So they communicated while we were all very concerned. We're watching the evening news. We're listening to people on. The radio and and hearing you know a very bad situation unfolding and the school right down the line kept us in the loop uh, really on top of things so it wasn't a surprise it was just kind of the final shoe dropping you know we we saw this all stepping up so um, I'm one of the only people who teaches in the art department on Friday so that that day I had the only class in the building and it was announced that we're all going home now and we don't know when we're coming back. Um, texts went out to all the students, staff, and faculty. Um, we knew that the, the, that was on the table. So um, my students went home. I um, packed up as much of the art materials that I could think of. I had an anticipation of coming back a few times. I wasn't sure exactly what a lockdown looked like or what that meant. Um, so I kind of thought we'd we'd be back in a few weeks to pick up our stuff and clean out lockers, um, and uh, and then I ran to the local art supply store and I bought every watercolor set that was available in Fresno, um, and paper and tracing paper and went back and started making up kits for all of the paint classes for the adjuncts for my students and for the watercolor students and started looking into how we might uh, translate the rest of the term into uh, working from home. Watercolors are safe. Probably 80% of the concepts in the class can be communicated with that, and I thought the rest I could demo. Again, it's introducing a concept as opposed to being able to master the concept. And um, so we did that, and um, and then we, uh, we had uh, three or four days to kind of get our wits about us. Uh, we had emergency training. Uh, in distance ed, uh, as I think every college in the world did, and uh, then we started up the next week from home on Zoom. And how did you transition from the classroom here in your studio? Awkwardly, um, uh, I tripped and uh, tripped over my own feet just constantly for the rest of that term. And then an awful lot of Zoom sessions started with just me staring at my students on Zoom and them staring at me, and I was in the basement. Uh, I had no natural light. It wasn't a very inspiring space, but it's where my office was and where my books were, and I wasn't quite sure how to demo. I would take my cell phone outside. There are actually drawings on the outdoor walls of my studio where I demoed drawing processes on the uh, garage. Um, there were uh, times when I went out uh, onto hillsides and attempted to do a plain air demo only to find that I had no signal or my phone battery was 
burning up very, very quickly trying to do as many things that I asked. So I made a lot of mistakes. Uh, my students were the real heroes in that situation in as much as they patiently pointed out, you're not making any noise, uh, Mr. Stuart McGee. Your mouth is moving, but you're not making any sound. And we go, ah. So um, uh, we, uh, I, I took uh, every available campus training in Canvas. Uh, we have excellent training for that. And then, um, and the just students. Let me just say, Canvas is a particular uh, program that the community colleges use. Yes, okay. it's right. It's uh, it's the uh, program that's kind of the format and structure. So it has its own email system. It has its own grade book. It has a, an excellent format that allows you to build a page by page, module by module curriculum. Um, of course, you have to write it, <laughs> um, and you have to build it. You have to plan it. It has to be a good reflection of the program and all of that was difficult to do without the training without those things so as I learned the class improved um, last spring was uh, an exercise in futility and frustration um, I think for for everyone and the students were uh, great we did have a couple of grab-and-go sessions where I was able to make uh, material kits and then would park at Save Mart on one day or park at the art supply store or park on campus and students could come and pick up materials. And uh, so we were able to distribute those. And then um, the, this fall, after getting a summer of great training, the class improved, the structure of the class improved. I got a lot of writing done. Um, and I, now part of teaching is making sure that I have a strong research component to my work. I'm not ad-libbing as much as I was before. Uh, my teaching style tended to be like my painting style where you observe what's going on, you respond to that with what you hope is an appropriate response and action, and then the students respond to that. And it's all, that's all very simple face-to-face. -face. Online, you have to plan ahead weeks. Um, if I want a video to be online, I have to shoot that video two weeks ahead of time so that I can edit the video, so I can edit the transcripts, so I can post it. So I'm not as responsive, but I am much more proactive. So those were shifts in my mindset, and uh, initially that was frustrating. Now I find it to be very helpful because I can always respond. If someone asks me a question, I can answer the question. But now I have the tools in place to be both uh, plan, planning and responsive. So I, I think that is a great help. Uh, for our listeners, we're sitting in Kevin's studio at home, and uh, you can find those pictures uh, adjacent to this interview. I see a blackboard. I see uh, a painting on an easel. Is this where you made a lot of your, your videos, right here in your studio? Yes. Um, uh, the school uh, is remains on lockdown, so there are procedures. Probably every school in the in the country, um, so we have to fill out an email form, which goes to uh, facilities and our dean to be approved. So going into campus to shoot videos and things like that is a little more awkward. Um, and um, some of the art studios, in, including the painting room, were used for disinfecting equipment because it's a nice airy sunlit room. So it wasn't appropriate or uh, timely to be able to go into the classroom every week even. So uh, I just moved a handful of props here. The te technology is not able to be moved from the school, so it did mean buying some new technology. And in those first few weeks, it was difficult to find a webcam. It was difficult to find some of the equipment. So was using what I understood. Uh, but little by little, I've, I've cobbled together uh, some things. The blackboard... Uh, is really fun. It's uh, it's actually canvas stretched over um, an old old tiny sound material called homosote, uh, which you can put push pins in. So I can use it both as a bulletin board, as an easel, and as a chalkboard. I just painted um, black gesso on it, and so I can draw on it. I can paint on it since gesso uh, since chalk turns clear. If I use water on the board, the board turns black. And if I use chalk on the board, the board turns white. So I can do value studies and paint, and then it kind of magically evaporates. So um, it's, a, it's a really flexible surface, um, and it has a crit rail on the bottom of it, so I can prop up art and demos and have a conversation and move 
you know, in a linear fashion through the steps of a painting or the steps of an idea. So let's pivot to uh, your students. Now they're at home. They don't have access to the classroom or in-person lectures. Um, how, do you th how was that working for them? How did they adapt to online? And how were you able to help them? Um, well, they've adapted brilliantly. I think that, um, like us, the students, the students had very little experience with online learning. Um, I think what between five and ten percent of classes in most campuses were being taught in distance ed. So, um, in every on every campus in, and in our department, there are a handful of instructors who are. Um, ahead of the curve. They were prepared for the pandemic, they were teaching online, and they could mentor and assist those of us who weren't. Um, and the same happened with the students. There were students who'd taken one or two online classes who could be very helpful to the other students. So I tried to engage them to share their information. And, uh, and the reality is, all of us, sooner or later, if you enjoy painting, you're going to go home and paint. So in a way, we just skipped to the ending. When you're done with the painting class, you'll be home painting. You'll have the following equipment. You'll have a little corner with a light. You'll have a few things you like to paint. Um, let's get you there. So let's try to get you there as quickly as possible and as safely as possible. So the emphasis shifted to safe materials, things that could be used around pets and children and grandparents. Um, during the pandemic, we were aware that caregiving be, became very central to an awful lot of households people's jobs were going away or shifting in dramatic ways. So trying to create as much flexibility and safety was was really important. And again, our campus was very proactive about uh, encouraging us to be flexible and compassionate, um, understanding that the students were going to be impacted in very difficult ways, and they were. Um, and then uh, doing things like the local art supply store has always been fantastic if I can plug Allard's uh, so mm -hmm. Allard's uh, art supply store in Fresno has just been amazing and they helped us make up kits but they're also there because they're a pool of former students and current art students who act as a pool like a, an informal focus group when I can't sit down face to face I could go to Allard's and talk to a number of working young artists and say I'm thinking about this. Will this easel work? Is $20 too much to spend for this item? And then um, coming up with what can we do? Can I make pallets? Can I make panels? What can I do to help the students at home? And um, then I went home and did things like gesso 200 panels and make those available. So if students couldn't afford a surface to work on and bought uh, a number of pads of watercolor paper, because that's what we do in class. If you didn't bring your materials to class one day, I'd just loan it to you. So trying to figure out ways to maintain that sort of flexibility in a safe way. And um, the back of my pickup truck has become an informal meeting place. Um, all of the advanced and intermediate students now know my front yard quite well because I'll just set things in the back of the truck and leave the window open and they come by and make a pickup and, um, and, and get what they need. Um, and then we've also had very generous donations. Uh, some canvases were donated by a local artist that facilitated students going home and working. Um, I did a DIY um, video where I took two Amazon boxes and cut them down to their component flat pieces and built uh, home uh, desktop easels out of them. So what can I do with four feet of duct tape and two Amazon boxes? I can make a almost free tabletop easel. And so I did that and put that on YouTube. And uh, so as many things as I can, like what can you DIY with the stuff that you have at home that's safe and inexpensive? Because uh, what the school supplies is light, props, and an easel. <laughs> Can you speak to um, some difficulties that some students had? Sure. The um, challenges of trying to get this together. As you mentioned, their home life is part of this too, and that's been very disruptive for a lot of people. How do they get, you know, is it midnight when they get a chance to paint? Um, for some students, yes, absolutely. And, um, but it's, the other obstacles are everyone now has to be a photographer. The only way that I can see their work is if they take a good photo of it. 
So now one of the first things we have to do is teach you how to take photographs with your phone, which means how to light the work, and also how to size the work. The photo that your camera, your phone camera takes is way too large for Canvas. It, it won't upload, and if 30 students uploaded full-size images, we'd crash the page. So the technology um, becomes um, one of the very first obstacles to get over. Everyone, the good news is, everyone now has a camera in their pocket. Right? Everyone knows how to make a digital image. Um, but the bad news is not everyone knows how to size that image or how to light a work of art. And I can only respond to the work that I see. So if they format the work wrong or if it's in the dark or if they do it in direct sunlight. So going through that arc, that added an additional wave of difficulty and challenge to the students. But also with that comes an equity issue because students who don't have money, um, don't have laptops, don't have a desktop, and they're trying to work from a cell phone, it's difficult on a cell phone screen to see if the image is in focus. Um, if your eyeglass prescription is difficult for you to refill and you lose your eyeglasses sometime during the term, there's students who are having a hard time seeing. Um, or they are working at night. Well, then you're photographing your work under a kitchen light or in the bathroom at two o'clock in the morning um, or you're taking it out in the morning before you go to work and uh, all of those things put additional stress that that may be untenable over an 18-week curve of the the semester and and what was a doable chore for three weeks be, became you know really really hard so um, trying to find ways to assist students with the technology uh, again, the campus has been very proactive. They have technology loans, IT assistance, online tutorials, Canvas assistance. So as problems came up, we're all responding. And it's great that there's a team, probably every school has a team of, of people who are there to help the students get past those obstacles. Um, but it did shift from students who had transportation issues. So two years ago, the problem would be that uh, they had a fight with their parents and now they're staying at their friend's house or they had a um, they decided to move out from their roommate situation and they moved home and now they're not on a bus route or now they don't have access to the carpool that they had before so in the middle of the term a student would disappear for three weeks while they worked out transportation now if they lose wi-fi or their phone gets damaged or they have to share the laptop with their kids who are also trying to go to school um, these are all new problems. So um, in response to that, my classes are all, all asynchronous, which means you don't have to be in class at any particular time. Everything is pre-recorded, all of the demos, all of the uh, information. And then I have a live but optional lecture. Um, and I have live but optional office hours and demo hours. So students can just drop in and I'll be there on camera uh, every morning at nine o'clock or during our, our lectures. But if they aren't able to come in, then they can view that. They can view the recording at midnight or three in the morning or the next morning. And um, they'll have an assignment due if, if it's a Monday class, then they'll have an assignment that uh, gives them an encouragement to get started. So it's called a work in progress. So there's a whip that's due on Wednesday night for Monday class. And then on Sunday night, they'll have had the time to finish that concept or, or work through that process. So uh, that's very different than having to show up twice a week at a specific time in the class. So it serves a different audience. I would say that this this term in particular, we had a number of students who would not have been able to come to a face-to-face -face class and give it um, their full attention because they did have kids at home or they do have a job that conflicts with that. So we had some amazing students who have wanted to go back to school sometimes for a decade and were finally able. So the pandemic was not bad news for them. And when given the opportunity to express their you know, what's your concern? Do you want to paint something about your pandemic struggles? They were like, I'm not struggling. This is, uh, you know, I'm actually living it up. This is great. The school came to me. So I, which was unexpected. I, you know, I, I didn't, uh, I didn't understand there was a silver lining. Um, how do you grade painting online? And the reason I ask is we have this image of the, the art teacher walking 
uh, through the classroom, observing painting techniques, uh, making uh, recommendations, and uh, artists talking to each other. How does that work uh, during this online teaching? Um, very much the same as it, it usually worked. Um, I tried very hard to make the process as objective as possible. So one of part of that orientation um, module where they're learning photography and those kind of ideas, we're discussing critical thinking, objectivity, and subjectivity. And one of the things that shows up in an awful lot of conversations about art is the feeling that it all comes down to taste. Well, you just didn't like it because it's not your taste. Um, but in fact, it's not at all about that. Um, I have very broad taste and have seen a lot of paintings. It comes down to um, just trying something, you know. So we're going to take on color this week. So we're going to use the following colors in the following way. Give it a shot. Let's see how that goes. You will learn something by succeeding or failing, and that's objective. You tried something. You tried it with these colors. So if you use different colors, you're not going to get the same concept. So, uh, or the same grade. This, or the same grade. And so the rubric that's set up is, uh, is pretty generous. They uh, are given about half of the points for making a run at it. You, you did something, good or bad, on track, objectively correct, ad addressing the concept or not, um, and you were able to take a photograph and get it in pretty close to the deadline. And then after that, points are awarded for... <laughs> Uh, following instructions, taking a good photograph, um, entering into the conversation with your classmates, the work in progress, uh, the Wednesday uh, discussion, uh, I, f I have found out, like I'm going to keep that part of my class forever because they engage with each other and they're so supportive of one another. It's like, wow, great, great run at it. And uh, three or four weeks into the class, once they're getting to know each other, they find out who's comfortable and, and who responds, you know, uh, with enthusiasm to feedback, you start to see them saying, that's really cool. What is the concept though? I was doing this project, it looks like you were doing something else. And which is great when they're actually supporting each other to try out the terms, or I don't think you used that word correctly in the sentence, uh, which is exactly the kind of feedback artists would be giving each other in the classroom, but we'd be giving it visually. Someone would use a word and I'd turn my head sideways like a dog and look at them and say, I don't know what that word means in that context. Um, when I was talking about value, I don't mean it's cheap, right? Uh, I don't mean it's a good deal. It means it's dark and light. And, uh, and to see the students learn in a very organic way and uh, and they're so comfortable with social media. They're so comfortable texting and sending short messages to one another. And they, they throw in lots of uh, really supportive and kind thoughts. So that's been another great perk is to see the students being much more open. Students who would sit in the room, back of the room and be quiet are actually quite, quite gregarious online. So um, it's, it's great to see 60% you know, of the class jump right in to the conversation on Wednesdays. Uh, have you had a lot of students drop out of your class or not uh, uh, register for the coming fall semester here? Uh, we've been really um, blessed and, um, and uh, at the effect of, I, th I think, the idea that uh, studio classes are, I think people are just curious. So our studio classes on our campus have been full. Uh, when other classes were having difficulty with registration, our classes were full and we were adding sections. So um, that's amazing. I'd knock on wood, but it would shake the mic. So, uh, but, uh, but the, but the re reality is that uh, we're not sure. I'm watching our registration for fall very closely. And what we hope is to create programming, you know, and to create classes that are engaging and exciting wherever they are, whether they're in the classroom or at home or in a hybrid format. And um, the pandemic has, I think, shown all of us that we don't know what next year is going to bring. Some new variant or something could come up where all of a sudden we're not able to proceed as planned, then I need to be flexible and prepared for whichever direction it moves. And I think our students are now getting that same sense. They are preparing to work at home and the students who can comfortably work from home are settling into that groove and the students who can't I think are taking a wait and see approach. 
Um, how is that going to pan out? What's going to happen? And I'm trying to be as uh, as supportive and at the campus as being as supportive as they can of those. I want to return to one of your classes. Uh, you talked about your mural class. Now, obviously, that's outdoors. It is uh, a collaborative uh, project. How do those students? Uh, how are they? How are they making that happen? And are they continuing with their mural work? Um, so a couple of things happened on uh, Friday the 13th when we all went home the mural class had just completed their proposals they had submitted some brilliant designs we were in the process of seeking funding and getting donations of materials um, uh, everything was ready to move forward on a couple of murals and the teams were consolidating into production the production process when we went home and were no longer able to even meet in very small groups. So all of those projects just ended and I was very concerned for those students. Um, but what has happened is the community has uh, been great about offering us walls and places and where we have small teams that can work two people masked up at a distance from one another they can work one person uh, in the back drawing the grid while another person plans what's going to be drawn over the grid and so they've actually taken on a few murals in the community uh, in downtown Fresno um, and there are as a result of kind of this pause there's a greater demand for murals than ever before and our next mural class won't be meeting until the spring of 22 so we're looking at creating work in response to a very large demand. And, um, and one of the other responses to that, that important collaborative urge that artists have to share and to work together is that they've kind of spontaneously begun to create small online salons. And I've worked to facilitate several of those. Uh, Zoom has the capability of facilitating small groups you don't doesn't require a corporate account or an educational account just anybody in the world can start a small zoom account and i think they can have seven or ten people in a group so these little salons and study groups that started in class have gone on to remain together and supportive um, there's a group of local artists uh, two or three of them are former students of mine who started uh, a salon at the very beginning of the pandemic and they now meet weekly. Two of the study groups that started uh, early on in the class have continued to meet and they eagerly invite new students. So as the new intermediate and advanced students come in, I let them know when these salons meet and they're joining those and becoming involved. Um, and now we have a, a, a salon that's getting set up to support local mural opportunities so that they can uh, so they can share the opportunities online. They're forming kind of a little collective where they can see who has what skills, who has tools, who has a ladder, and who's free on Sunday, right? And uh, so it's, it's coming together in a very organic way, the way that art scenes do. Uh, and part of the other thing that's great is it's, uh, it's intergenerational. Uh, it's great to see young artists learning both from the, the knowledge and the experience of older artists and older artists being able to share in the enthusiasm and energy of these young artists. It's, it's kind of a perfect synergy. So you've spoken about a few things that you're going to incorporate going forward mm -hmm. from your experience here, learning to make uh, videos and structure, things, more resources for uh, uh, your classroom when it's in uh, person. Uh, what is your school doing for the fall? Is that going to be hybrid or is it going to be full in person or how is that working? So in the fall, our, uh, um, our classes will still be online. Most of the classes will be online. Life drawing and sculpture and ceramics, I believe, are all meeting in person. I know ceramics and life drawing. And, um, and so the instructors are moving to that. It's just very difficult to fire work at home uh, and uh, and life drawing from photographs or or from uh, static imagery from even a video that's set up of a live model is is less comfortable it's not it's not the same experience at all so uh, so those instructors are moving to an to a uh, hybrid or in-person format and uh, we are incorporating uh, assuming that the safety protocols remain in place, we're moving online with the opportunity to have small group meetings on campus or off campus. So um, 
I'll be able to set up demos and invite small groups of students. Uh, we'll have grab-and-go material days. So opportunities to use a hybrid. And um, you know, some of the things that initially were a little clunky about an online class, like um, the fact that in person I can look across the room and if a person's shoulders are sagging or their their head is tilted to the side, you read their body language. You can tell that a person steps back and they haven't lifted their brush in five minutes. They're, they're stuck. They don't know what to do. And when I'm just looking at a little white name across a black box on Zoom, I'm not getting that visual feedback. But, um, but Canvas allows us to have surveys and I can regularly ask, how do you feel about this? Um, how did you uh, respond to that? Uh, was that lecture too long? Was that, uh, are you interested in the artists that were presented last week? Uh, what do you think about this assignment? And I can ask that at the beginning, in the middle, in the end of, an, of a conversation. I, I can start a lecture with, is this making sense? And uh, get a good cross-section of students. They don't have to turn on their camera. They don't have to turn on their mic. They can just respond in chat, or they can send me an email or come to office hours. So it's opened up a lot of things where five or six people, kind of the equivalent of the front row of the class, um, have their cameras on. And I can see their body language. And of course, they're being super polite. And then there are 10 people who uh, I don't see their faces. But I do get a chat now and then, or I get an email from them, and they show up for office hours when they have questions. So it's opened up a lot of new ways for students to interact, and I'm, I'm going to roll with it. That's, that's great. Just because I'm a visual guy doesn't mean that uh, that's the only way to learn. In the time we have left, I'd like to ask you a couple of questions. Um, as we mentioned before, we are sitting in your personal studio at your home. How has uh, teaching online in this in the pandemic affected your personal work? Um, it, actually, uh, this is a it's a great question. A uh, few things happened. One, uh, that moving from a two thousand square foot the classroom into a 400 square foot uh, art studio trying to bring uh, just a representational cross-section of props, uh, a few of the necessary tools, a couple of lights. Um, it's, it's, it's meant that my work got pushed to the side a bit, so I'm probably doing five or six demos for every personal painting. When it would have been uh, a bit the other way around, I would have been painting far more on my own, and then the ideas or elements of my own painting that were applicable to the conversation would have been shared, just because, you know, it's cyclical. If, if it's lovely outside and it's the right combination of weather and, and temperature, then I'm painting outside, and that's a great time to invite students to paint outside. And when the weather is unbearably hot or rainy and cold, those are great times to paint inside, and that's a different set of tools and processes and uh, perhaps a different um, approach. So uh, it's, you know, it, it just took a little bit of flexibility to bring a classroom into my studio and, uh, and then I'm, I'm throwing more time and energy into these demos because I love to paint. Uh, and it's just really a fun thing to do, spend three or four hours every day uh, working on canvas. Now it's working on watercolors two days a week and working on acrylics two days a week um, when I normally would be doing most of my work in oils for myself. So it's, it's, uh, it's kind of helped sharpen up my chops in other media where uh, you know I might demo if we were doing six little watercolor panels I might do two now I'm doing all of them and uh, if we were doing acrylics as an option I would be doing one acrylic painting for every six oil paintings because that was about the representation of students but now most of the students are working in acrylics at home so um, I'm, I'm trying to be both responsive and uh, to enjoy this moment. It, hopefully this never uh, is something I have to go through again. But while this is what we're doing, I, I want to respond the way I want my students to respond. And that is with a little enthusiasm and, uh, and flexibility and, uh, and creativity. In the, in the end, an art class is about problem solving. So this was a big problem and the combination of the educational community and the student community and our colleges um, and our nation have come together with solutions in a very creative way. So um, the fact that students are succeeding 
in classes. The, the fact that after that dismal spring, students signed up in droves for college classes, that's, that's very good news. And it's, it's a real tribute to them and, and to the colleges that are offering solutions and ways forward in a dark time. And last, let me ask you, what are you most proud of? I think every teacher this year is going to say they're students. I'm so proud of my students. But in, in particular, these painting students um, uh, have just done extraordinary work. Um, I know they've had more time to work there at home, and in some cases, that's a gift that I had no way of anticipating. So when our spring art show rolled around, there were just there was a mountain of paintings submitted to the student art show with excellent work, uh, creative work, well-crafted work. Um, they put a great deal of time and thought into it. Really interesting conceptual political work, um, psychologically insightful still lives. It was just really smart, well-executed work that came about. And I think part of it is that you know in the classroom you have six hours a week. And if you're at home, you have 50 hours just to look at the work. And then even if you're only put in those six hours, you're responding to the work. So the opportunity to live with their own paintings, that's one of the gifts of an art studio. I, I can look at my work. My unfinished work sits on the wall and taunts me. Uh, and, um, and they get to have that experience as opposed to coming in and seeing their work from last week with kind of a stranger's eyes. You know, it's, it's aged and they might have in their mind thought it was a different painting and they came back in to class. They haven't seen it in a week. And suddenly it's, they have to take action. They have to respond to this conversation. But it's like meeting a stranger. So I, th I think it's, uh, it's very interesting to see the students have such an intimate relationship with their own work um, and trying to figure out ways to facilitate their working at home or living with their work a bit more this is definitely going to be one of my goals going forward. Kevin, thank you for being with us today. Thank you so much for coming. Please visit our website, www.modal.org. That's M-O-T-A-L dot org to learn more about our exhibits, events, artifact collection, and more. Also, find us on Modal's YouTube channel, Facebook, and Instagram. Museum of Teaching and Learning. We educate people about education. Teaching in the Times of COVID is brought to you by the Museum of Teaching and Learning and is the sole owner of its content.